The night has many stories of dark schemes and spilled blood. The world of darkness covering our eyes like a veil behind which kindred walk the streets alone. Hungry for blood. Thirsty for power. Monsters in the night surviving their very nature. And trying to keep the beast at bay. Follow each one as they awake. Arise. Oh, forever be fallen. Kindred Stories, a Vampire the Masquerade audio play series coming soon on the Gehenna Gaming Podcast. Listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast, where we explore traditional tabletop and live action role playing games through the lens of horror. A special thank you to Patreon for helping make this podcast possible. Settle in, Thin Bloods, grab a drink in your favorite set of dice, and let the darkness consume you. Well, welcome to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast. Uh, Barney Menzies from Parable Games, and we're here to talk about Shiver. Uh, Welcome, Barney. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, my name's Barney, and I'm the project lead for Shiver, so I'm in charge of sort of bringing all of the elements together and organizing them into a into a real format, getting them together for the book, um, together, um, and just generally uh, chatting with people and talking about the book. Uh, I'm also the technical writer for the game, so I do all of the nitty-gritty rules-writing bits, um, and my brother takes care of the sort of fluffier half of the book, as it were. I'm sure he's going to love you referring to it as fluffy. <laughs> right? Oh, absolutely. He'll love that. Nibbling <laughs> rivalry. How dare you call me the fluffy one? <laughs> that's okay. That, that's a good working relationship. Uh, me and my uh, cohorts at Gehenna Gaming raz each other just the same. Um, speaking of which, I am uh, Rick Wheeler, uh, a.k.a. F. Malkavian from Gehenna Gaming, and uh, yeah, I'm very uh, excited to have, have you here today to talk about this game, because it looks awesome, and uh, doing the reading of the quick starter, uh, starter as well, it, it would have been fun. Yeah, we, we wanted to put something together that was um, not necessarily like a lot of find out there in the market that have a lot of like quite dense rules and aren't really they were to new if you were new to role playing so if you if you just had some friends that you wanted to maybe try and get in have a have a system that allowed players yeah, it seems to, like a lot of the um indie games and and created content developers that we've been talking to lately who have made us they, they've strived for that same goal. Um, they're very easy yeah. to up, just like this game. Like the, I think I was... By page 60, yeah, the setting, it was like, okay, I, I pretty much understand how to run this now. It, it took me half an hour. And uh, yeah. a couple friends 
I'm going to have over for an evening. And that's what you really want out of a, a game system. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, there's been a move recently in role-playing games to move towards a sort of more narrative and experienced focused gameplay style rather than a sort of crunchier uh heavy dice maths um game less role play style of games that was like the initial kind of birth of role playing was that sort of dice and doing loads of maths and i think recently we've seen lots of indie creators coming in with this okay well, we want our really cool stories and then have a also have a game element right. within that. so i mean it was very smart to do that and i've been saying since we've run uh, a bunch of games at conventions um we got a lot of people who it's funny they're at a game convention but they're playing tabletop games for the first time um so to have a system that's into something um so it's i think it's brilliant players sorry you just cut out that for a second same avenue oh i was just saying it's it's great that in um having a bunch of people at conventions and being able to explain a game system especially as a player not necessarily as them running it but to pick up and go something uh that you can read in like 30 minutes and then have your friends over for an evening and kind of play it out of the box yeah i think that like that's one of the things that um maybe at conventions some role-playing games struggle with is that initial like building a character kicking off playing can be a bit of a struggle if you've got people who want to like really work their way around the hall and play as much stuff as they can and find all the cool things that they've come to see so that was one of the other things that we wanted to really get down was like okay we want as little amount of time reading the rules and like grinding through a character sheet as possible and straight into the action yeah and even the um the quick start itself has pregens. So if you're listening to this and you are interested in uh, even trying this game out before you uh, back it on Kickstarter, which I believe there's 12 days left, you've had a crazy successful uh, fundraising campaign for this, uh, which we'll get into in a little bit. But if uh, if you're interested in this already, um, yeah, download the quick start and uh, stay tuned for the other questions we have about this game, Shiver. Um, before I get into the questions about the game, I'd like to ask uh, a little bit about you, if you don't mind. Uh, what got you sure. into tabletop role-playing? So, um, I've pretty much been in the games industry for my entire like professional life. I started out um, in video games doing sort of YouTube content creation as a teenager, Um and then eventually got into tabletop games when I was about 16, 17 with some card games, Magic Gathering and those kind of games. Mm-hmm. Um, I then started um, one company, Seventh uh, Seat Collectibles, which is my other company, um, that uh, buys and sells uh, collectibles, card games, uh, Warhammer, things like that. And that got me really into playing loads of games um, from like Dungeons and Dragons to like Warhammer and, and all of these like the massive breadth of tabletop games that exist in the world. Um, and then from there, um, my brother also started getting into, into tabletop role-playing games around the same time that I was. Um, and he was playing with his friends um, at university where he was studying film. Um, and that's kind of where Shiver's origin comes from, is he wanted a system that he could play with his film nerd friends to really nerd out and play like film plots with um and they were sort of taking 
bits and bobs of different systems to try and try and synthesize that experience. Um, and then he kind of came to the, came to me with the idea of Shiver, and we fleshed it out and worked on it. And about three years later, we're here. Well, that that's I mean, it's it shows in the system itself, uh, even as the storyteller, game master, um, different systems have different names for it. In Shiver, it's called the director. And uh, I can definitely see the film influence um, throughout this whole thing. And in fact, this is super intuitive for people who have done film or even short film like I have. Uh, it, it just kind of speaks to those to that audience. Um, so on the Kickstarter, it even said something like, if you have seen or uh, experienced things with like horror TV or movies, this is going to be kind of like um, easily something you can pick up and run with. Uh, so the fact yeah, that your, your brother kind of had that inspiration to, hey, I want to run a game for my film nerd friends. Uh, yeah, no, it it lends itself to this fantastic horror audience, which is often into those things. Yeah, we, we also wanted to take the sort of... Um the things that my brother learned in sort of film production and script writing and things like that and bring them across to the uh, tabletop role-playing worlds because we found that a lot of um, other systems are really, really good at providing you with the mechanical um, toolkit to put a game a game together, but a lot of them don't offer that sort of narrative education about how to actually put a story together like what an act structure is how do you build tension and we wanted to bring all of those things into the game as well um and sort of make it a really really um inviting thing for someone who's maybe like thinking about dipping their toe into uh to gming or directing a game um and maybe have their first crack at it and it not be super intimidating yeah, very systems heavy and crunchy is uh, definitely something you want to avoid. And it looks like you guys have kind of nailed it out of the park with that. Um, what got you into steering the game in the direction of the horror genre? Um, so we kind of identified quite early that um, we thought that horror was quite a fun genre to play around with because... Um, well, initially, my brother was bitching horror to me really heavily. I'm, I'm like very, I'm not super into like the full breadth of horror. I have quite a lot of bits that I like, but also some bits that I'm just not that keen on. Um, and I was like, okay, is horror like the right fitting for the actual mechanics of the system? Because that's what I was designing. Um, and what we the the discussion kind of ended up landing that. Horror is almost the broadest um, broadest genre in terms of setting and style um, yes. to allow people the most amount of freedom to take Shiver to the stories and the games that they want to play um, because you can play anything from Scooby-Doo to Saw and it's it's got that breadth of um, story access through the mechanics that we wanted to make sure got used to its fullest potential, which was one of the reasons we ended up with horror. Um, we also thought it was it was sort of a an interesting challenge design-wise to look at how you sort of build tension, uh, play with characters that aren't necessarily like demigods or like really powerful, 
um, and how does that affect the role-playing experience? Right, because it opens you up to a vulnerability that you can sometimes only explore in the horror genre. And um, on a lot of other interviews, and uh, even our own Twitch channel where we talk about uh, horror genre itself, I I've always said that it, when you allow horror like to, to be the main focus, it's kind of like an anything goes story system where you might not have a happy ending and you can take more risks. And often that leads to a more exciting story. Um, I mean, surely you get the same thing in, in fantasy as well, but when you're playing with the baseline that, you know, <laughs> there are definitely some terrible things out there, not just um, dragons to overcome uh, because you understand that you can overcome them. <laughs> it's, it's a system that's built for that. With the horror genre, you don't know necessarily what it is. And <laughs> by design, you're almost like, I don't know if we can actually defeat this thing. We have to think about outside the box. And uh, often that can lead to a lot of interesting, um, geez, I don't know, just intuitive yeah. decisions, right? Creative, creative thinking. Absolutely. I, I think, and that was a really interesting um, thing for us when we came to getting Shiver in front of players, because that was one of our sort of early things that we wanted to do was as soon as we had a working system was to put it in front of as many players as we can to, to start testing it. And um, one of the things that we found was a lot of the players that had uh, mainly sort of fantasy hack and slash backgrounds, uh, when presented with an enemy that they sh should in, in no means be uh, fighting, would just try and punch their way through the problem. Um, and it was we had to do a lot of working out about, okay, well, how do you, how do you incentivize players to maybe run away or find out more information about a monster that they're trying to fight rather than just assuming that their characters are strong enough. And it, it yeah, it kind of ties into that thing that we were just talking about, about how characters are a little bit weaker and they're more human. And so you have these more interesting decisions to make within the story in the game. Just, okay. Punch that thing. Right. And you feel like, um, Sometimes in the other systems, if uh, you're a character, you're an adventurer of some sort, and you go off on your own, uh, you know that typically where you're at, you can probably hold your own against X number of uh, crunchy monsters, right? Uh, yeah. So you feel like you're kind of like the Justice League, right? Each one of them is a badass in their own right with their own comic line. Uh, <laughs> in rogues gallery, um, and typically you take on bigger threats when you're all together. And it seems like a lot of other systems kind of do that. Whereas in horror tabletop role-playing, you instinctively almost know if you go on your own, you're likely in a world of hurt, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of the reasons why we added um, a mechanic to combat called Overwhelm, um, which relies on you having a critical mass of characters fighting a, a, a boss or a creature to make it slightly easier for everybody just through sheer weight of numbers. Um, and so if you don't have that sort of weight of numbers and strength in, 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 in your group, um, then yeah, you run the risk of getting picked off one by one. And which is always dead funny because one of the, one of the ways we pitched stories in Shiver to people was uh, come play your favorite horror movie and make better decisions than the characters did. And what actually ends up happening is usually <laughs> characters make very similar decisions to the ones made in the movie. <laughs> right? Did you learn anything? <laughs> it's like that commercial where they're like, oh, where are we going to hide? Let's go behind the 
big wall of chainsaws, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that one gets me every time. I, I can see that commercial 50 times and it still makes me laugh. Um, but no, th there's a lot of really cool and um, honestly, um, a lot of things you put into this game that I haven't really seen before. Um, one thing called the Doom Clock I'm interested in because oftentimes, um, not so much with uh, COVID and how we have to play online games, but when in person, I typically have an hourglass in front of me and I will literally set it down for just about anything. And I don't even tell them what it's for. Um, sometimes wow. it just builds tension and they're like, oh my God, what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> you know, and I know what it, I know what it means. Sometimes it might not mean anything. I just put it out so that when something is coming, it throws them off guard. You know, it's like the boy crud wolf thing. The more times they see it, the more comfortable they are. Uh, but in this case, you actually have a mechanic called the doom clock, and I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So one of the things that we really wanted to um, push for with Shiver was that every dice roll a player makes and every decision a player makes has an effect on the narrative and the overall tension of the game um, and so the doom clock is designed to almost track the stability of the world and the story that the players are in um, and depending on the actions they take uh, the clock ticks forward um, getting worse and worse and worse um, and triggering what we've called doom events. So um, they also provide a, a nice way to structure your story. Um, so in each uh, sort of short campaign or uh, one shot, you'll have four different doom events, one at quarter past, one at half past, one at quarter two, and one on the hour at midnight. And the idea is that as players progress through the story and the peril slowly increases, um, these events get worse and worse. So maybe the first event is the power goes out. Uh, the second event is that um, an NPC that's guiding them through a bit of the, the place that they're in gets absolutely brutally murdered by a, the big baddie. Um, then at quarter two, maybe the big baddie comes out and really has at them before they manage to escape. And then at midnight, he, he, the bad the big bad's just stalking them permanently and you can't sort of escape that threat um and so we 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 had it as a, a narrative sort of pacing mechanic initially that developed uh into a lot of other elements of the game um because we wanted to discourage that thing that you find occasionally happens in role-playing games where players stack up at a locked door and each one of them rolls their check to try and pick the lock with no consequences um it's something we call coined the uh, the zelda pot smashing effect where if you put players <laughs> in with lots of pots they'll just smash them all um and so we wanted to provide an incentive for players to take the best option for the story rather than the best option logically that's really interesting it uh, it, it's almost like it lends itself to that bad decision making we see in movies sometimes right yeah i mean i, I think that's one of the issues with um
horror role playing in to face the danger rather than uh, run away from it, or to face the danger in a way. Feels even though it realistic. has a lot of supernatural and Lovecraftian kind of uh, themes and elements to it. Um, the genre of horror is extremely broad, and it seems like you were able to take a lot of different themes that you can run within horror, and you've allowed the storyteller and um, just full narrative control to kind of make these adventures take place anytime, anywhere, um, any way you like to. Like you said, it could be Scooby-Doo, it could be Saw. Um, what was one of the the goals behind developing a system like that where you could use this game for a variety of different experiences? Well, it was um, a lot of it was um, based around that initial idea of, okay, we want to be able to play our favorite B-movies, our favorite cult-like classics. And in order to do that, we needed to have a system that you could really stretch. Like, I want to play a medieval knight, but I also want to play an android on a spaceship in the middle of, in middle of like deep space. And how do I, how do I do that within a system? And so the, the, the kind of um, genesis point that we reached was that in order to do that, you have to start with what is the essence of all of the characters that are featured in that story, in these stories, and then work outwards from there. Um, because if you if you can work out what stories feature in every single sort of story, then you can backwards design them to um, to to have um, character abilities that work um, for every setting. So it's things like okay, I want to design um, our physical classes, the warrior, because um, all of our our classes are based on attributes. Uh, I want to design a character that is um, the kind of character that you see that protect, protects everybody else in the film. They jump jump in front of the bullets. They like grab people and pull them out of harm's way. And so how do I design abilities and uh, make that character feel um, like it would in every film, regardless of what time setting it is, and sort of designing things that are are, are unique, but also apply to everything. So like, for, for example, one of the, that character's skills is, is literally called get behind me, um, mm -hmm. where it just jumps in front of an ally and takes all the damage. Yeah, you have, a, um, a, as far as character creation and boiling down some of the different archetypes to uh, the very base of what makes them unique, um, you really kind of, done a great justice to that. I mean, like you said, I, I can see why and how characters can be created for any different scenarios like, um, you know, the android, the warrior. And it kind of builds into the dice system, which you've kind of put throughout much of the game where you have grit, wit, smarts, heart, uh, luck, and the strange, right? Um, and it seems like each one of those archetypes kind of reflects that on the dice. Um, so, I mean, kudos to that, because this is a very flexible and unique system for people to run those kinds of stories in. Um, tell me a little bit about that dice system. Um, and I, after reading the, the quick start, it looked pretty cool. You have not only just the, uh, the skill dice, but the talent dice. 
And um, I like the different things they do. And I like you to kind of explain it to our audience here. Yeah. So the one of the things that we wanted to do when we were designing Shiver was take away um, a lot of those barriers for, for newer players looking to get into tabletop role playing. Um, and one of those barriers that we found um, when we were sort of talking to people who were like, okay, I'd like, I'd like to play X role-playing game, but this bit of it is scary or this bit is a thing that I don't like. Or the first time I played, this was the thing that I didn't like. And one of the things that came up a lot was, I hate doing dice maths. Mental arithmetic brings you out the story. It's not fun. So like, okay, we can solve that and we'll just use symbols on the dice. Um, so that was that was kind of a big breakthrough for us. So this, the symbolic dice we use, we've got two dice in the game. The skill dice, um, which is the D6, and we have talent dice, which is the D8. Um, the skill dice um, are... Um, have symbols for one of each of the six core skills. Um, so they're your like basic dice um, that you're rolling to make your checks. And when you're making checks to see if you can do something, you're rolling the amount of dice equal to how good you are at the specific thing. So say it was grit and I'm a strong character, I'd probably be rolling five of these dice and I'd be looking for the, the orange fist grit symbol. So I'm just rolling my dice, looking for that orange symbol. And as soon as I'm seeing lots of orange symbols, I know I'm probably doing quite well. Um, the talent dice um, was something we added um, as a a way to almost slightly take the edge off how grim uh, the dice maths could be. Because with the D6s, you could roll more dice, but it didn't necessarily increase your chances as much of passing a particular thing that your character should have been really, really good at. So the talent dice kind of is a, uh, a boon or bust. My character's really good at this, but it also acknowledges that my character can be flawed. Um, and so that dice has, um, on some of the faces, talent symbols, um, which are a universal success for everything bar the strange core skill. And then on the other side, it has strange symbols. Mm. Um, and so for the archetypes that care about um, just doing normal tasks, it operates almost like a wild dice, where most of the time it's really going to buoy you towards success. Um, but it does have like a spiky failure end to give that um, like critical success versus critical failure dynamic. Um, but then it becomes really interesting for the characters who are engaging with the stranger elements in the story. So your, your psychic characters, your werewolves, the, the, the ones that are really leaning into like the, the weirder elements in the world. Um, they have the dice almost flipped for themselves in that they're looking for the strange symbols and the talent symbols don't do anything for them because you can't be talented at being strange. That's a really good way to put it. And um, it, it totally answers my question because seeing uh, how those D8s are labeled uh, talent and strange is like, uh, you know, I wonder what that means, but I think that's really cool how it works better for some archetypes than others. And it kind of flips the narrative. Um, I think the way you described it as far as you can't be talented at being strange really uh, makes a lot of sense for how that works. And it's uh, it's it adds for a very interesting experience um, with the way that works. It I think it's going to really resonate well with new players who, like you said, are not, or they kind of have like a fear of the dice. They don't know what's going to happen. Um, it seems a lot easier for them to understand from 
you know, kind of like the core concept. You're used to different things in horror, used to different things in watching these shows like the X-Files or Alien. And um, it just kind of makes perfect sense on how that works together. So that's that's a really good way to design the system. And I'm a fan of it. I'm looking forward to kind of running this with some friends and seeing how this goes as well. Um, I noticed there are skill trees in the game, which I'm always personally a fan of, whether it's in a game or a tabletop game, video game, whatever. Um, tell us how we can unlock those. I'm assuming there's an XP system if uh, your characters should survive these uh, horrific situations. Yes. So we uh, we 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 really liked the sort of visual way that video games dealt with skill trees and abilities and that kind of stuff, and we wanted to kind of borrow from that to help us. Um, provide a visual aid for how characters could gain abilities and, and, and sort of become more powerful. Um, because Shiva works on a, on a number of levels from sort of one shot to your longer form campaign um, in the style of a TV show, um, we have a couple of different methods for um, leveling up your characters and getting new abilities. So for the, for the, for the one shots, we tend to suggest one of two methods. Either you pick your level at the start of the one shot, um, and if your characters survive, awesome. Maybe you're going to bring them back for a sequel, but that's it. There's no leveling up that happens. Um, the other thing that you can do in a one shot is you can link your level ups to the doom clock. Um, so when you hit quarter past, your crew of characters is assailed by some awful threat. Um, and once they've got past that threat, maybe they get a level up. And so that gives you a really nice sort of act structure and sort of encouragement to go into that horror like I was talking about earlier because it, it might provide some experiences for your characters to get, make them sort of better at what they're doing. Um, so that, that means that you, you can maybe span two or three levels across the, the course of a, a small campaign and get that nice character progression for your characters. Um, for the campaigns and sort of longer form stories that people are telling, one thing that we've been suggesting is, uh, I mean, using narrative structure is a classic, like, I know that lots of people don't use XP systems when they're role playing. It's kind of like, oh, you've defeated the boss. Here's your level up. Um, and we're, we're very, very big on that. Like give level ups when it feels like the characters have earned it. Um, but the other thing that we've talked about is doing it um, based on full doom clock cycles. Cause one of the way that we talk about doing the longer campaigns is, oh, well, if you're going to have a story that stretches perhaps doom ticks up on your clock until you reach the apex of a particular section of the story so like in a tv series maybe you'll have yes. a two three episode arc that spans the the characters exploring one aspect of the story that comes to a climax and at the end of that sort of arc you reset your doom clock and your characters level up and it's 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 designed to have quite a lot of flexibility um like the rest of the system so that you there's a structure for how you can level up characters, or there's not a structure, and it depends kind of how you want to play or what best suits the way that your players want to play. Right, and that's something you can always find out during like a session zero, uh, when you kind of talk about the themes and what everyone is uh, is cool with. So yeah, yeah, kudos to that. When it comes to the uh, art of the system, it's definitely something that catches your eye. I, I personally think the best way to describe it, in my opinion, is to, it looks like Hellboy in a little bit, but like with a much more diverse color palette and it kind of resonates really well with the way that 80s horror movie VHS covers look like back in the day. 
It's got that very interesting stylized kind of look to it. I think even in the quick starter for like the zombie kind of outbreak thing, you you have the uh, it, it looks like a guy in a spacesuit, and it's all kind of yeah, green. it's the guy in the big yellow hazmat suit, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and his in his yellow and red and yeah, and the, there's a big red like face uh, handprint on the glass of his uh, of his visor, and it just sticks out like a sore thumb, and it looks so just eye-catching it just the whole thing pops right um how did you guys settle on this and um yeah tell me a little bit about the art direction so um we were really fortunate um in playtesting that we got introduced to um our now artist uh for the game um who had this amazing like graphic style um We'd been doing some sort of mood boarding and things like that about where we wanted to go. And there's quite a lot of art direction. You can take horror, you can do the like heavy black and white, like line drawing kind of style that's quite popular. You can take it to the full digital art, like hyper realism uh, that you see with a lot of eldritch kind of products of just huge masses of tentacles writhing out of the ocean. Um, but we wanted to take the art in a direction that paid sort of homage to the source material that we were referencing. So like, like you're saying the eighties horror movies, that psychedelic, um, pulpy it's horror, but not horror that's taking itself so seriously that you're going to have a bad time all the time. Like it's, it, it wants you to enjoy the experience of, um, the, the horror. Um, yeah. I wanted to, have an art style that kind of left a little bit to the imagination. Um, so we wanted to steer away from the hyper detailed kind of art styles so that you look at something and your mind goes, okay, yeah, that's a zombie or that's scary for this reason, but it doesn't give you so much detail that maybe you're not filling in the blanks for yourself. Um, and yeah, like you say, Hell Hellboy and Mike Mignola was a massive um, influence because Hellboy is essentially horror. Um, yes. And his his sort of amazing graphic art style paid, paid, played a big influence. Um, games like Darkest Dungeon and um, this, this trend of sort of hard colours, heavy shadows, um, um, and really conveying that horror, but in a way that shows the colour of it and, and doesn't necessarily make it dreary. It's what we want to go for. And I think you established that with the different interesting like blend of psychedelic, somewhat even like watercolor um, shades with some of like the deep, deep colors you've got going on. It, it makes it so that, yeah, it's very darkest dungeon and Hellboy had a baby, but then it's um, it's got such a wide color palette that it, it doesn't make it seem like it's just, it's all black and red all the time, man. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. The one of the first pieces of art that um, our artist did for it is the. I don't know if you'll have seen it because we've not put it in as much of the content yet. But it's a, a slasher holding um, a character who's about to meet a very untimely demise with two characters running away, and it's just like purples and yellows and pinks and greens, and it's just like wow, this is terrifying, but also really bright and it's it's just cool oh definitely and you can sell you can tell like if you check out the uh the kickstarter page like you've got a bunch of things that have unlocked because this has been a very successful kickstarter and that's uh some of the questions i wanted to get into as well um you've got so much that you've 
you've planned with these unlocks. I mean, some of them to to name a few. The Mister Husk, if uh, it was unlocked by Halloween, it's this totally awesome. It almost looks like a scarecrow guy, right? Except he's got like yeah. a pumpkin head and a scythe. Um, not only is like the orange and the pumpkin like really died down, it it almost makes it look like this is um. I don't know, like someone's lights from their car are illuminating him as he's kind of running after you, right? Um, but the whole thing is just shaded so well. Um, I'm really loving some of the other stretch goals you guys have had. Um, tell me a little bit how you, you came to basically decide on what else to throw in here and what kind of creatures and scenarios we can expect. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it kind of all ties into this, like, theme of horror being this amazing broad genre where you can fit any story into it and we wanted to really lay into that idea and put together huge amounts of content for players to start dipping their toes in and and maybe exploring areas of horror that they they haven't looked at before so we started with some classics so like mr husk and giggles the clown are your classic like slasher story um, creepy small town kind of vibe. But then we moved to like uh, the Wailing Lady story, which is more of a, a kids on bikes, 80s pastiche um, kind of story. Um, Escobar Bog, which I think is probably the most terrifying story um, Charlie's written for the book. It, like, nice. I was like, oh my words, this is terrifying. <laughs> um, is a, a sort of, folk horror exploration of fairies and how fairies are actually really, really terrifying. Um, and once you've read this story and maybe run it, you will never think about the tooth fairy the same way again. Absolutely terrifying. Um, that one's great. Um, yeah. They, but, they almost make the tooth fairy look like the Mothman. <laughs> oh, oh, it's, it's yeah. It's that story is, is wild. If you've got a fear of uh, dentists, I would not recommend playing that one. It is, Interesting. Um, <laughs> content warning. <laughs> yes, content warning. That Anti-dentite. One, very, very scary, but also amazing. And also it's a, a theme that I've never explored. Like scary fairies is not something that I've ever read or looked at. Um, but my brother has quite a big love for um, localized horror stories. We've been quite inspired by like J-horror and K-horror and, and like various, um, various cultures, different takes on what makes a story scary. Um, so that's been really interesting looking at, for example, the Irish folklore behind fairies and why they're scary. Um, but alongside the main book in the campaign, we've also got um, a book called The Cursed Library, um, which is like our collection of scary stories and campaigns for players to run. Um, and it's it's the place that we wanted to house um, some of our biggest stories, um, which we've now unlocked um, loads of. So we've unlocked... Uh, Protocol, which is your classic like sci-fi space exploration um, story, but with like a few twists. Um, we've also got Dark Prospects, which is Weird West. Um, so that's uh, all about horror in, in the Wild West, but not in the way that you would expect it, which is another great story. We've actually got a podcast episode of that coming out soon, which will be really, really good. Um, we've Yeah, we've, we've got quite a lot of... Um, different genres of horror as it were um that we really wanted to explore with the stretch goals um and yeah like, like you say the the support for the campaign has been absolutely amazing so we're just having an absolute blast releasing all of these bits yeah that's great uh, before i i forget 
tell us uh, where they can find uh, our listeners the audio podcasts so we can if you're interested in shiver you can check it out follow the guys and uh hear uh firsthand some of the things they're coming out with absolutely so the easiest way to find it is through our facebook page where we'll be posting about new um new episodes as well as content from the kickstarter uh, and sort of visual updates sneak peeks of art and sneak peeks of content and that's facebook uh just search shiver rpg um, you can also find it at Games Parable on Twitter. Um, and then also if you like to watch your podcasts rather than um, just listen to them audio and like to have them on YouTube, we also have quite a lot of content on YouTube, including the podcast's episodes. But we've also got sort of uh, how to play, character building uh, examples and things like that. And that's just Shiver RPG on YouTube as well. Well, that's, that's fantastic. That's such a good resource uh, for people as well. And I, I believe I even saw on the Kickstarter page that you took um, kind of like online, online play into consideration for people, uh, especially during the pandemic where uh, they do have a free dice roller app, interactive character sheet PDFs, and you even included an interactive doom clock tracker uh, for people to play online with their friends. So kudos to you and uh, thinking of people's health and best interests especially while this Kickstarter is live. Yeah, absolutely. We, we sort of kicked the project really into gear um, when the pandemic sort of surfaced because um, my brother was working from home and um, our artist uh, ended up uh, furloughed from work. So we, they had a bit more time to start working on the project. And one of the things that we started talking about obviously was, okay, well, how are people actually going to play Shiver when we release it? Um, and so we wanted to have all of those things in place so that people could play it um, safely. Um, but we also wanted to make it so that it wasn't prohibitive for people because we knew that um, uh, symbolic dice and having to buy specific dice was a thing that lots of players saw as a negative to a system. So we wanted to make sure that it wasn't a, a limitation for people and they could still play the game even if they didn't have the dice or they'd forgotten their dice for a session. Yeah, and even in the... Um the quick start, there is a dice conversion. So if you do have uh, D8s and D6s at home um, and you're playing with uh, someone you're maybe in quarantine with, uh, you know, and you're still waiting for Amazon to deliver these beautiful dice to you, uh, you can get by. So, yeah, we, we've played a lot of games with uh, plain D6 with colored stickers on them. So it's, it's whatever you can do to, to make the system work for you is what we recommend. Actually, the fact that it's color-coded makes it a lot easier to read, which is something I particularly like when a system comes up with their own unique die, if it helps me to uh, read the results quicker. So it's, especially as a storyteller, uh, not so much as a player, you know, because players, you can kind of dwell on, oh, geez, it either worked or it didn't. But with a storyteller, you typically have to, like, think a lot quicker because you're responsible for so much more, uh, or at least usually that's the case. Uh, dice yeah, like this that, that are color-coded really help yeah and it's it's one of the things that we found really interesting with the dice um was that we wanted to get away from that binary success fail um that you find becomes the, the dynamic for most dice games um and with the symbolic dice you can actually have them tell the story and be a role-playing aid so say you're trying to bust down a door and you're rolling your dice pool and looking for orange symbols for grit, which is our physical skill, um, to bust open that door. And and you roll no none of those orange symbols, but you roll maybe um, some yellow symbols, which is the symbol for smarts. 
uh, and you look down and you see that the door that you're kicking is actually a pull door and you can just pull that door right open. And it, it provides that like narrative um, aid that also helps players role play. It's, it's, oh, I failed, but I look at my dice, how did I fail? Uh, and it allows also the director or the GM to impose um, impose like downsides or, or boons to roll. So say a player's narrowly made a check, but they've got some strange in their role. Maybe uh, they, they succeed, but they make too much noise and attract attention, or maybe they succeed in a different way that they haven't thought of. Right, and that that's really cool as well. Um, one thing that I think is really cool about this game is at the end of your stories, you not only have epilogues and how to wrap things up, um, but you have sequels for the one-shots that are so good that your players are like, I want to do more, I love this character, I love this game. Um, tell us a little bit about that. I, I think that's something that should be included in just about every scenario for every game that is out there because... Uh, sometimes you run a game and people just want more. And it's if you've had fun and you want to continue it and you didn't expect it to be a chronicle, uh, this is a great way for the developer to hand it off and pass the torch to these people that have loved the product. Um, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, so we uh, we wanted to build sequels in because that was one of the things that we found ourselves playing. Is like, oh wow, we've we've played this session, and all we want to do is uh, get our characters and take them on their next adventure. Um, and so we wanted to explore with it how certain franchises have those recurring characters that carry through. So your your Ripley's and your Sarah Connors, and how they develop through those sequels, and what. Um, makes them interesting. And so it kind of fits in with that level up mechanic in that in your sequel, maybe you bring your characters back for the next episode, but they're a bit stronger. Um, but the other thing we wanted to look at was, oh, well, they've been through this traumatic experience. And so how has that changed the character? Maybe they've developed a new fear, which is a part of our character generation. Or um, we added a section that is for characters that are either more skilled, so characters that have um, maybe taken from different archetypes and smashed them together, uh, or for characters like this that are coming into a sequel and have been through a traumatic experience, we, we added a thing called Fatal Flaws. So you bring your character through to the sequel and they've been maybe become more hardened by their experiences, but also they've gained um, some downsides and some narrative impetus to them as well. Um, so we have things like... Uh, I think what some fatal flaws are. Uh, we had like uh, methods for coping and things like that. And it's like, okay, well, maybe maybe your character now um, drinks to forget kind of thing. And, and, and how does that affect them? Does it make them impulsive? Are they uh, frozen in fear at the sight of a thing that terrifies them? Um, does fear affect them in a completely different way? And it's exploring those um, things that you often see in the sort of like, grizzled uh, horror protagonist as they go through a set of sequels. Well, that's brilliant. And it takes the uh, not only the players into consideration, but as a game developer, it, it definitely shows a great love and care for the people that buy your products that you want them to have not only a good time, but to continue uh, making these stories in the world you developed. Um, so thank you for joining me today, uh, Barney. And I'm looking forward to playing this. Maybe sometime we can schedule after 
the Kickstarter is over and busy with that, I would love for you to uh, maybe come on our Twitch sometime, run a, uh, a session for us and uh, show the world. Yeah, I expect that this will um, go to BackerKit after the Kickstarter has ended. Yeah, so we're going to have a pledge manager after the Kickstarter has ended. Um, uh, we haven't quite worked out how we're managing it for um, people who haven't backed um, but we're we're going to be some form of pre-order after the Kickstarter ends um, before we go print and go to print and start sending numbers off to 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 people to start actually getting Shiver made, which is very exciting. Excellent. Well, yeah, thank you for joining me today. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure. And if you are interested in the Shiver role-playing game, like uh, Barney said, check them out on Facebook. The Kickstarter's got 12 days left to go. Um, and yeah, hopefully you can get into this fantastic role-playing game of personal horror uh, and get it at your, your gaming table soon. Um, anyway, uh, anything else you want to plug before we go, whether it's your own um, personal account or um, anything else about Shiver? No, that's, uh, that's it. You've pretty much covered it. If you if you guys want to check out the Kickstarter, that's got all of the information that you could possibly need. Um, and as we've said as well, um, there's the free quick start version of the game, um, which is everything you need to play, um, a basic story, including our sort of zombie uh, corporate horror story, uh, Corporate Rises, um, which is a great little adventure about uh, people working on the absolute bottom floor of a research facility that gets overrun with the undead and how they have to escape. So if you fancy giving that a play, that is great fun, and that's included in that quick start as well. Uh, yeah, I gave it a quick read through today, and it sounds totally cool. There's even uh, some good maps in it as well. Yeah, we, we wanted to give everybody sort of like the the absolute best experience to start off with with some really fun pre-generated characters and things like that and we actually played it live on stream last weekend with some some other role players and they went absolutely wild creating their own characters and it's it was a, it was an absolute blast excellent well thanks for joining me today barney hopefully we'll get you and uh your brother chris on sometime for um a game of shiver yep, that'd be fab thanks very much for having me Thank you for listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast. Your attention has been noted. You can find us online at GehennaGaming.com, on Twitter at GehennaGaming, twitch.tv slash GehennaGaming, and patreon.com slash GehennaGaming.